This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another edition of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And I am, yes, the one, the only Mitch LaFawn. I have been on the road extensively this month of May. Most recently in Albany at the Palace Theater, where I saw two shows by Uriah Heep and Judas Priest. And let me tell you, they were absolutely absolutely spectacular and so uh, I'm going to bring you three interviews that were recorded while I was out on the road first up will be Ian Hill of Judas Priest yes we spoke to Ian just before the tour started but now the tour is there so we get a little uh, update on how it's, it is to be playing all these new songs in the set list we talk Nostradamus we talk Tim Ripper Owens and why the albums that feature Tim are not available anywhere and then i'll follow that up with lizzie and joe from hailstorm they were in montreal with bisto blanco and uh palais royale and uh, what a great show absolutely absolutely spectacular their latest album is called vicious we talk about that um and just just absolutely great and and the one thing about this episode since it was all recorded on the road uh, it was all the road gear that we used to tape all these interviews, so you enjoy that. And uh, I'll um, mention just with the Ian Hill one, the Palace in Albany is a very, very uh, unique kind of place in, in the sense that there really is no backstage. It was almost like a rat maze back there. Anyway, uh, I was eating, interviewing Ian in the uh, priest dressing room while Uriah Heep was playing. And so in the background, faintly, you will hear... Uriah Heep's live set as sort of a background noise or a background. It doesn't distract from the interview. It's just you'll you'll be sitting there going, "Hey, I'm listening to Ian Hill, but is that is that a Uriah Heep song?" And yeah, yeah, it is. It is a Uriah Heep song. So a, a little added bonus if you want to get uh, 15 minutes of the uh, Uriah Heep uh, live set as sort of I don't want to say Muzak, but as as a sort of a soothing background uh, white noise, if you prefer. And then, you know, uh, like I said, I was uh, at M3, or I was at M3 at the beginning of the uh, month down in Columbia, Maryland. Absolutely one of the best festivals to attend. Just fun wall-to-wall from the minute you step into the venue. Everybody's in a good mood. Everybody's in a party mood. And then you head over to the uh, hotel after, and there's an after show where the bands come out and they do one or two acoustic songs or one or two plugged-in songs. It's sort of a free-for-all in the sense of they can do whatever they want, plugged in or not plugged in, and then they hang around. And, and usually your, your your day is sort of like you wake up for breakfast at 9 in the morning and then you party till 4 in the morning kind of thing, which is quite interesting. But uh, we do have Anthony Quarter from Tora Tora. We sat down actually uh, in my hotel room and uh, discussed Bastards of the Beal. Now, the reason I'm doing three interviews on this episode is because they're all reasonably short. I think uh, Ian is 15 minutes, uh, Lizzie, I think, is 15 or 16, and Anthony is, I believe, 9, maybe 10. So it's uh, rapid-fire interviews, and uh, you will enjoy that. And, of course, uh, if you do want to uh, support the podcast my uh, merch line the uh, mitch uh, baseball jersey and the mitch uh, t-shirt are now available and shipping we had taken pre-orders all the way up until may but now it is may and they are shipping so there is no delay you uh, order it online and you get it immediately and uh, you head over to loud tracks l-o-u-d 
T-R-A-X.com, loudtracks.com. And uh, just go to the search bar and just put in Mitch. Um, you know, and, and by the way, uh, Loud Tracks is uh, part of, um, how can I put this? They handle all the official merch for Judas Priest, ACDC, Iron Maiden, for the Canadian territory. So while you're picking up a Mitch shirt, well, while you're picking up two or three Mitch shirts, because please, help me out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but while you're picking up a Mitch shirt, you can also get officially licensed Judas Priest stuff, Iron Maiden stuff, ACDC stuff, and all a bunch of other bands. So when you go to the site and you see the bands, uh, whether they're death metal or hair metal or whatever, that, that's all officially licensed stuff. It's not a bootleg store. So uh, you can shop in confidence. You can head over to uh, loudtracks.com. And for me, in the search bar, just put Mitch. So uh, enjoy that. And uh, Nick, who runs it, does an incredible, incredible job. And in fact, if you're in Montreal, Nick uh, does a lot of the bookings of bands. So if you're out one of these club shows at the Piranha Bar or whatever, Nick's the guy who brought him in. So when, you know, the Killer Dwarves play here or Uli John Roth plays here or Tony McAlpine, Nick books them. So he books them and he does the official merch. So uh, support me, support Nick. And, uh, of course, if you want to do a, a straight uh, PayPal donation, you can at uh, MitchMinute at AOL.com. MitchMinute at AOL.com if you just want to do a quick uh, PayPal donation. And, of course, I do appreciate all of that, but let me appreciate you here with some interviews and uh up first like i said uh to the music of uriah heap it is ian hill from judas priest and so um well you know he he deserves the proper introduction here is the one the only the mighty ian hill uh, we are here with uh, ian hill backstage in albany the uh, tour is going on with uriah heap and let me ask you we we spoke before the tour started and you are printing in new songs into the set list. So just, you know, a couple of weeks. And how is that working out for you? Is it is it fun to play these songs that you haven't done in a while? And and what do you think of the fan reaction? Because I was looking at it last night, and it was like, you know, out in the cold. And they were like, yeah. Yeah, well, it's comfortable now. <laughs> it's a bit odd to start with because the entire set was changed from the last leg, uh, apart from the three encores, you know, which are fans' favorites, you know, we, we, right. that we love to do. And the fans love us any, to do those songs anyway. Um, but yeah, it was a little bit awkward to start with, um, just working out moves and stuff like that. And what you, you know, when you can tap your foot and nod your head and stuff like that. Uh, but the crowd took to it straight away. Uh, yeah, and like you say, as you saw last night, you know, they, they you know, they, they're really loving it at the moment. They really are. So, in terms of moving forward, because next year you have the 50th anniversary tour coming up, do you continue with this sort of changing up the set list, or do you want to go back to a more traditional set list where? It's really like, here, here are the 15 greatest, greatest hits. It's early days yet. We haven't really thought that much about it. Um, it's also the 30th anniversary of Painkiller, so it might, might be Painkiller heavy, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll be a different set again. Um, probably going right back to the early days and, and, and trying to pick a song from, from each album, at least each era, you know, because we've only got a certain amount of time in the set. But try and pick something from each era uh, and put a set uh, together with that, you know. 
But as I say, it's early days, so it's, it is liable to change. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see what happens. Now, uh, a couple of years ago or a few years back, you brought in Richie Faulkner. Now you have Andy Sneap that's come in. Is this the lineup that you would like to see end Judas Priest, whether it's five years down the road or ten years down the road? Or if Andy goes back to producing, do you think to yourself, okay, we got to go get a new, new guy? Well, uh, I mean, Richie's been with us for nearly nine years now, you know, so he's, he's a member of the family. Um, so, yeah, he's a permanent addition, obviously. Uh, Andy, it, it's as much up to him than anybody else. I mean, I know he's got a lot of production work, which he's backing up right. at the moment, and he's going to try and finish quite a lot of that off while we have this break. We, the, this leg of the tour ends in June, and uh, we won't start until mid-next year with the, with the 50th anniversary things. We have to leave a bit of time, you know, for people to catch the breath, right. <laughs> including ourselves. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's something that we have to be decided compatibly soon, I suppose, because if Andy wants to go back and, you know, right. be a full-time producer, obviously we've got to get a replacement. Uh, and there's no reason why we shouldn't finish the tour with the, with the lineup we've got. Right. If Andy's up for it, great, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, I think the fans have taken to him now. Uh, and again, he's almost, he's a member of the family as well. I mean, he's been working with us for way before the tour because he was producing the album as well so there's a good year's worth there so we know Andy very well you know and vice versa and he's a great bloke as well great to get along with which is just as important as being a great musician you know if you've got somebody who nobody likes well they're not going to last very long but uh, but Andy Phil's ticks all the boxes you know but as I say it's as much up to him as it is up to us really and we'll, we'll perfectly understand if he wants to carry on with production I mean that's his forte you know yeah, and he's great at it. And he was actually telling me last night that he's got Creator coming up and he's got Accept coming up. And Now, for you, though, do you start thinking about new music with Andy? Have you started sussing that out with new songs and production ideas? Or let's just do the tour first and we'll see later. Uh, well, if and when we do go in the studio, there's no reason why we shouldn't use the same production team we had last time. We were terrific. Andy and Tom Allen and, and Mike Exeter, you know. Uh, that's that's a dream team from a production point of view, so uh, we'd we'd be uh, all for using that lineup again for you know for the team. Um, and like I say, it's early days yet. We're going to take a breather after the end of this. Um, I think Glenn's at home working on new material anyway. If I know him, <laughs> so that there'll be some stuff there. There's some great ideas that we didn't pursue from from Firepower, not because they were inferior anyway, just that we never got round to doing them. You know. Uh, so there's some material there as well. Um, so the, 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 there will more than likely be a, a, another studio album shortly. But whether that will be before or after the 50 years, we don't know, like I say, early days yet. But there's one on the cards, definitely. Let me talk to you about the sound of the band. Because, you know, they always say the sound is in the fingers for the guitar players. And you've got these two new guys. How is it for you? You've been there since the very, very beginning. You're, you're, you're the sole remaining. You're, you're like, if, you, if this was the CBS show Survivor, you would have won. Uh, what's it like for you when you hear the songs? Is it a renewed vigor? Is it just different? Is it like, oh, we need more rehearsal? Like, how does it come off to you hearing the, the, the new guys, for, in a sense? It's sounding very, very similar to the way things were. It's going to be somewhat different, obviously. Um, I mean, Richie, when he first joined the band, yeah, well, you know. I mean, he, he tried to stay as close as he could to what Ken was doing, you know. Uh, since then, over the last eight, nine years, he's obviously uh, put his own touches here and there, you know. He's got his own feel there. And uh, he's bound to sound a little bit different. Uh, as you say, it's, it's down to technique more than anything, you know, that, that, that gives you your sound, yeah. 
Uh, and the same with Andy. I mean, Andy at the moment is obviously covering Glenn's parts. Mm-hmm. He's doing that very well. Uh, the solo parts, he's putting his little touches to it here and there, you know. So he's grown into the music as well. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a progression. I mean, the band's been progressing anyway since 1969. We weren't even called Judas Priest then, you know. It's just progressed all the way along. And it's, with, with each album, each tour, we've uh, changed a little bit, you know. We try to step, take a step forward and uh, get better, you know. So uh, albums do change. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, they do. I mean, the lineups change. Drummers, we've had vocalists. So, uh, <laughs> one yeah, bass player so far. Holding on to drummers has always been tough for a lot of the band. But yeah, well, Scott's been with us now since 1989, so I think he's got the job. <laughs> yeah, he passed the rehearsals. Um, let me quickly ask you about the Ripper Owens years. Those, those albums are not available online. You can't stream them, you can't buy them. Is that sort of purposeful to sort of say, hey, listen, Judas Priest, the brand, is Rob Halford, and we're ignoring it? Or is it just some weird right stuff that you hope to sort out at some point? It's, it's an odd one, really, you know, because there's some good material on both of those albums. Yes, uh, and Ripper is a terrific vocalist, you know, and he, he did a tremendous job on, on the you know, Jugulator and Demolition. Um, and why they're not for sale, it's got nothing to do with us for it like that, you know. Uh, whether it's a contractual thing between Sony and whoever owns the copyrights to, to those albums, I don't know. Um, but it is a shame because there's some good material there, you know. And uh, as a band, I mean, it's, it's still Judas Priest. I know it wasn't the uh, trademark lineup, but it was still Judas, Judas Priest on, nonetheless, you know. So um, the, the, it's uh, disappointing that the, if that's true, the material is not available. That's. that's uh, Unstreamable, uh, it's, uh, yeah. Well, it's them, disappointing. Live in London. Uh, yeah, the meltdown. Was it? Was it? Yeah, me- yeah meltdown. that's right. Yeah, there's four of them, right? Yeah, yeah there's. Oh, fuck, I forgot. <laughs> yeah. <these days>. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's disappointing. It really is, you know. Um, get on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, just let me talk to you, Jaquilly, again with Ripper. How was it for you that the, that first few times when you stepped on stage and it wasn't Rob? Because you know a lot of bands. You look at Aerosmith. You think Steven Tyler right away. You think, you know, uh, Robert Plant for Led Zeppelin. And you come out and it's not Rob. Now Tim, excellent vocalist, but he's not Rob, and that's not to be disrespectful. But he's, how was that for you to experience it and see the fans and play those songs? Well, there was a three or four year break. Uh, since Rob going on his own and us getting on on with Tim. So um, it wasn't such a, a grinding change, if you know what I mean, because we'd obviously worked with Tim in the studio before that, so we sort of got used to his sound and the way he did things. Um, but not just the new stuff. He covered um, he covered the, the older material well as well, you know. He, he did a great job. But as you say, uh, Tim isn't Rob. Uh, when, uh, when, uh, no, it's not because the thing is when the, when the suggestion came up with Rob maybe coming back to the band, he agreed with that, you know, because he's a, well, we're all fans of the band, and he could see the sense in it, you know, and he, he could see it coming anyway, I think, you know. Yeah. So and then and just on the other side of that, just was there an elation when you got into the rehearsal rooms the first time when Rob came back? What, what was that sort of like? Getting was it like family coming back together? Like we, you had the Christmas fight and now. We're back. Very much so. Um, it was like, um, I don't know, put on your favourite T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Everything just... just black yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> flowed straight back in, you know. And um, it just went straight back to the way it was, you know. 
And uh, it's been like that since, you know, obviously with Step Forwards, with the uh, three, four albums, four albums we've done, uh, you know, since Rob's been back. So it's, uh, yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, like you say, catching your bus home. Yeah. It really was. So, so let's so we talk about uh, Painkiller before 30th anniversary come back, coming up. How important was that album for you? Because you had, you know, Turbo come out and a couple others where the fans were like, okay, I'm, this is different. It's more glammy. It's, and then you came back with Painkiller and it was like metal ripping off your face. It was right there. How important was that for the band to make that statement? I think it was very important. Um, we'd come to, to the sort of an end of an avenue with, with Defenders of the Faith. We, we couldn't really improve on that. It was a tremendous album. Um, and then we, we, we got the offer of the uh, guitar synthesizers from Roland came along and, and offered us first dibs on those, you know. So we thought, oh, yeah, okay, that's different. Um, probably overdid it. <laughs> but, uh, it wasn't to everyone's cup of tea, but for every fan we lost, we gained a new one, you know. It was one of those things. Um, but we could see we couldn't really go much further in that direction either, you know, when he came around to doing uh, Ram It Down. So we. We started with a harder edge on Ram It Down, you know, and, the, and then refined it with Painkiller came along a couple of years later, you know. So, yeah, to get back on that track. And it's a great album. Now, like I mentioned before, you're the, the one guy that has stuck it out the whole time. Were there moments for you where you just thought, this is not working, I need to take a break, or have you always sort of been true to the cause, for the lack of a better word? I've been true to the cause, really, you know. Um, I'm easy going, I'm pragmatic. <laughs> and um, I, I, I don't know, I was a bit anxious about the, the turbo thing, you know. But, uh, but in the end, it, it's a great heavy metal album. Underneath all of those synthesized guitars, it's still a great Judas Priest heavy metal album, you know, and that, that's the main thing. So, um, no, I've, I've, never, I've never thought of, you know, we got in the wrong direction, really, because... Like I say, we've always tried to change with each album, and that was that album's change, you know. And then changed back and went on the heavier thing, as you say, with uh, sort of turbo. It was the more glammy thing. People were you know, dressing more brightly, if you like, a more commercial edge maybe to, to, to a lot of that album. And we went back to more the roots, you know, with Rummy Down, and then on with Painkiller. You know? And by the way, for Turbo, I keep telling Pete, your, your tour manager. Get him to play parental guidance. He goes, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. But it will. 50th anniversary tour. Um, just real quick, in terms of, and I've, I've, I've lost my question. Um, I've lost my question. But, well, let me just go back to that then, just real quick. Um, what were your fan? What, what did you think of the fans' reaction to Turbo and, and that era, and turning the band into more of a Bon Jovi or more of a Def Leppard rather than? Hey, it's priest. It's metal. Maiden's doing it. Why do Why do we have to sort of glam it up? I don't know. Like I say, it was just that change. It was that change, and that's all it was. And we were. It wasn't a real. Apart from the the, the 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 you know the urge to keep going and keep moving forward, there was nothing. There was no sort of real plan, and to make it like that, it, that evolved as we went through it. You know. Um, as I say, you see, it's a heavy metal song. All those songs are heavy metal songs underneath, and um, and all that sort of stuff went on top, if you know what I mean. So uh, that was the change. 
and I, and I see we're running out of time, but I do remember my question. It was Nostradamus. Um, you do those two albums, you come back, the reunion, fans are loving it. Was it, in your opinion, a wise move to do something experimental? Was it sort of a creative freedom and it needed to be done? Or you look back at it and think, hmm, maybe we should have just done another sort of metal Judas Priest album. There's that trail of thought, you know, but the thing is, everybody's got one of those opus things in them, you know, and that was ours. I don't think we'll ever do anything else like that. Um, it took a lot of time up, you know, orchestrating all of those songs. Um, but it's, uh, it, was, it, was in the, it was in there and had to get out, you know. And it was actually our, um, our manager came along, he visit, came to visit on one of the last uh, shows of, of the Angel Retribution Tour and uh, he, he, bought, he bought these uh, you know, you know, little packet for everyone. It was a story of Nostradamus in there and he says, this would be a great idea, you know, to turn into a concept album. So, um, and we went from there and three years later, there we were, you know. Um, it had to be done. Um, having said that, I'm glad we, we went back on track with... Uh, you know, uh, well, we're back straight on track with firepower, yeah. But, uh, but you know, Redeemer Souls came before then, you know, which is obviously, which was uh, Richie's album debut, and uh, back on track now with firepower, you know. Which I have to say, I think it probably is the finest album we've done. I mean, most musicians, you ask them their favourite album, they'll say the new one because you just spent months and months, you know, putting it together. But um, in this case, I think it quite possibly is, you know. <laughs> Yeah, which is amazing, and, and I know we're running out of time, but in terms of making new music, at this stage of the game, you could just say, F it, and we're going to go do 15 greatest hits, and yet not only did you not call it in, you made one of the most vital albums of your career. You yeah. could, it, it, it could be top three or top five rather than, and we punched it out, the record company gave us some cash, man, what the hell, yeah. you know? Well, look, we're 50 years old, right? We're 50 years into our careers now. Um, and Rob and myself are the two two people who are getting on in the band these days, although the others are catching us up slowly. Um, but the music is still young, and that's that's the important part of, of taking that step forward with each album. It's why we did it to stay current and stay relevant. And um, that firepower could have been put out by a much younger band, and nobody would have batted an eye, you know. True. True. And I think that's probably the secret behind its success, the reason it did as well as it did. And with that, thank you for your time today. Okay. Absolute pleasure. Cheers. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Rock Talk. And uh, there we go indeed. A very, very, very big thank you to Ian Hill of Judas Priest. What's amazing is that in my entire life, not music career, but my entire life, never spoken to Ian Hill. And in the last three weeks, twice. Uh, not to mention backstage with chatting. So uh, two interviews and, and then some backstage chatter. So absolute pleasure to talk to him. And since this is a three-interview episode, it's rapid fire. Let us get right over to uh, Lizzie and Joe from Hailstorm. The latest album came out at the uh, end of last year. is called Vicious. Sat with them backstage at the MTELUS in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And so... Without further ado, here are the ones, the onlys, can we say that? The mighty, or mighties, Lizzie and Joe from Hailstorm. We are speaking with Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm and, of course, Joe. Good day. 
Good day. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day, sir. Yeah. Thank you for having us. So uh, welcome, and uh, welcome to Montreal, by the way. It's always great to have you here. You've, Of course, we're here with Heavy Montreal and last year with Lita Ford. Yeah, always very important. Sir. That was the last time we were here, and, and uh, that was such a fun tour. It was just so great to be um, surrounded by, obviously, Lita, the legend herself, and then just surrounded by so many girls. And um, I don't think I realized how important that was not only to our audience, but but to me to do that tour. So it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it really was a lot of fun. So let me talk about Lita first and, and the influences, because you've, of course, covered Close My Eyes Forever with the guy from Disturbed. Mm-hmm. And you, of course, do Steel of the Night and Skid Row and all that. And a lot of the newer bands t- seem to distance themselves from the older bands because it's either not cool or it's hair metal or it's another era and we're this new thing. Talk to me a little bit about um, covering those bands and wearing those um, bands on your sleeve and saying, yeah, you know, we're proud of these guys. Well, I mean, I guess let me put it this way. I, I, didn't, I didn't get into music because I was cool. I, I got into music because I wasn't cool. Right. And, um, and, it's, and a lot of those bands taught me, you know, that, okay, that's okay. You know what I mean? Because all of those, ba- all of those guys that I have since met from those bands are like, yeah, dude, I was the dork in high school and music was my outlet. And so, you know, I relate to that. So for me, it's a sense of pride. It's almost like, you know, we are our own community and, um, and it's wonderful to, to meet all those guys and, and kind of be that, um, that next generation that still absolutely enjoys them and, and spread and still is spreading their music around. So, yeah, I just, I, I, I feel like it's, it's an extension of me, I guess. It really is. So when you decide to put out uh, EPs like Reanimate, mm-hmm. do the record companies come to you and say, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> let's not do that? Like, is, is it a different marketing tool? Let me ask Joe first because yeah. we don't want to forget Joe. I didn't know. Oh, hi. Yeah, I'm still here. No, um, you know, they, uh, they've never, you know, they, they always, we talk with our A&R guy about those EPs and we're like, well, this is what we want to do and what we're going to do. And he's, he always has ideas. And a lot of the times... They have really out there ideas, like some of the newer pop songs or something that we're like, all right, well, let's try let's it. See let's happens. see what happens. Like, that's, it's a fun challenge, you know, to, like, try some unexpected things. So it's a, it's a discussion. Like, for the next one, we're going to make another one here soon, and I don't even know what we're going to do. We haven't, we've, got, we've all got lists that are, like, this long, and somehow <laughs> we're going to have to narrow it down. Kiss never fails in the cover uh, that department. Is uh, that is very true. I did a Kiss covers album with a lot of the guys from uh, Guns N' Roses and stuff. Sold That's beautifully. Awesome. That's yeah. not a bad idea. Yeah, right. We've never done Kiss. So. Right. I was yeah. made for them. It's easy yeah. to do. Um, real quick, in this today in this marketplace, getting a band established has become very difficult. When you look back at the Stones or the Beatles or Aerosmith, there was a plan. You made an album. You toured. You made an album. You toured. What do you have to do now to sort of stay visible and make it in a in the business and and have a career? Uh, for us, we tour a lot and um, and we keep putting out music. But um, but also, I think that it's different now because of uh, you know there's social media, so there's there's these different avenues that you can. Uh, broaden your reach and so for us a lot of it has been selling ourselves as well so what we've what we've noticed is that by opening up to the fans and not having this kind of veil or this mystique about who we are and just kind of laying everything out there um, I'm ex- extremely honest uh, to a fault <laughs> with our fans you know it's like uh, sometimes at four in the morning we start talking about all sorts of crazy stuff that maybe I shouldn't have told everybody but now it's out there um, you know one of those things and uh, 
And so I think that that's, that's part of it. And so you see people coming to your shows and, you know, that it's not just, it's not just a, a soundtrack for them. It's not just um, a piece of music. Um, sometimes these songs change their life or they, they tattoo. We just <laughs> talk to a bunch of people upstairs. They tattoo them on their arms and, and it becomes a part of their life. And so I think for us it became inadvertently this community versus just us being on stage rocking out and them listening. So um, I think that that's, at least for RMO, um, that has worked for us. Does being so uh, active on social media and so visible remove some of the mystique? Because when Kiss Herta came around once every two years or Aerosmith came around once every two years, th- it was a celebration. Now you're always there in their face. It's great to interact. love to ask you a question. You answer me. But the mystique is sort of – how do you respond to that? And we'll go to well, – but we'll do both. Yeah, well – you have an answer for that? Go ahead. Good. I'm curious, actually. <laughs> I think, you know, seeing Lizzie do her thing live is there's it's just like, how do you do that? What is that? And, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you talk on social media. You know, you got to see her live to experience it, you know, and to, like, just be there and witness. Like, I rarely get to see her because I'm always sitting there, don't screw up, don't screw up. But uh, <laughs> but when I do, it's always like, no, no, I'm I'm more the taskmaster in the band. But... But it's like you know to wa- to watch her sing and do her thing is always just like oh my god it's like it's what you look for in a singer someone that like transcends and it gets through you and I've I've some of my favorite experiences are watching her perform with other people and you can see the energy wave like go from the front of the stage to the back of the arena as people like have an awakening to her and it's cool that's the magic you can't get that on social media that's interesting yeah I mean from from, from thank you by the way. You'll get your five bucks later. Um, ooh, yeah, big payday. Uh, no, but uh, for, from my personal aspect, I think that it's a multi-layered thing. It's not like if you say hi to me, that's all that you that you know. That's that's all you know, and that's all you're gonna know. It's like when on social media, I get to kind of give the handshake and be like, "Hey, this is what I'm about," unapologetically, and then you come see it live, and then you get to go even deeper down the rabbit hole with me. So I, you know. Um, same thing with our band. I mean, like, honestly, like if you haven't, obviously you have, but if anybody listening hasn't seen us live and hasn't experienced my little brother for everything that he is too, he's quite the force of nature. And so, and that's something that you just can't bottle up and put out there on social media. You actually have to come and see that. So, yeah. So, all right. So talk to me about the importance of the live performance, because when you look at some of those bands that I've mentioned, obviously playing live, the Stones and and Billy Joel and and Kiss, they all had this presentation. And when I saw you the first time at Heavy Montreal, admittedly, I had no idea who you were. Of course. And after you finished your set, I had, I knew exactly who you were because it was that compelling. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, It is important. Uh, For us, we've always been a live band first. And and for us, that's, you know, we talk about that all the time, too. That is like where life happens is because we don't have we don't have tracks. We don't even have a click track. There's no trickery. It's literally the four of us playing and betting on on ourselves every night for better or worse, you know, and that is so incredibly it's. It's what makes us happy. But then for audiences that come see us, I think that it's infectious because, you know, kind of as Joe was hinting around too, it's like I, I do like to, you know, to connect eye to eye with people. And you can look six rows back and 
it's just one of those things is that human element and you get to be on the same wave with these people. And um, so, yeah, it's quite the roller coaster ride. <laughs> it really is. Now, of course, the last album last year, Vicious, came out. Great album. Well, July 27th. So getting there. Getting there. Getting there. You're old. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the songwriting process, because recently I've interviewed Jim Balance, Desmond Child, tomorrow I have Holly Knight. Oh, nice. I know, it's a great, it, I love my gig. Uh, but talk to me about the importance of songwriting and how you craft your songs. Um, for me, well, this particular record, um, we wrote, God, how many songs? I don't even know the number. We wrote so many songs uh, about six months prior to when we were supposed to go in for pre-production. Um, and to try to make a very long story short, um, we basically were listening through to all of them. And what we noticed in the pattern that had kind of happened during this wave of songwriting was we were trying way too hard to please everybody but ourselves. So you could hear it. You could hear, I get off times too, and I miss the misery times too. And, oh, God, we've heard this before. And we've done that before. And it wasn't inspiring for, for us. So... Um, so, so really we took all of those songs and we threw them away. We basically, we just said, okay, nope, we're not doing any of that. And so we went into pre-production with next to nothing, a handful of ideas. We had some riffs, you know, some titles, whatever. And we went in, started recording and every day, Nick Reskinlins, our producer would be like, all right, who's got an idea? Um, yeah, he did all those. And so he's, he's such a great energy. And so he really helped us be like, look, you know, you have to be stoked about what you're doing. He's amazing. So, um, so yeah, we would start and literally as we were writing the song, we would be recording as we do that. And so a lot of this record, you can really, I guess, hear the, the, the fresh ideas, you know, the, the, yeah, the excitement of it. Cause we, we didn't have any time to get used to it. We were doing it now. Um, as far as my personal, uh, process, as far as songwriting goes, um, I write something every day, much to my fan, my bandmates chagrin. I'm always making noise in the dressing room. Um, but, but you can, yeah, that's true. At least I'm, I mean, there could be other things I could be doing that could be wasting my time. But, um, after so many years of doing this, it's become kind of your passion also becomes your affliction. So it's something I need to do every day. It's something I enjoy. I piece the puzzle together. And basically, you just kind of chase whatever gets you excited. If you put on your instrument, hey, this is a cool riff. What can I do with that? And uh, it's I, I've become quite good at finishing an idea. Um, even if later I think it sucks, I still write, write it and finish it. So. Yeah. Is it important for a band like Hailstorm to develop a sound? You know, when we talk about ACDC, we know exactly what that means. Mm. Or are you more of the style of U2 or Madonna where you're going to say, you know what, we did that album, this album. Do you want to move the sound forward or do you want to find a pocket and say, this is Hailstorm music, end of story? Um, there's, there's two ways that I could probably put that. Um, the, the first one is that I love going toward what's next. That's what has been kind of my driving force since I was 13 in this band. It was like, okay, we did that. Now what's the next thing? Um, so I love the chase of it and, and exploring new sounds and exploring things. Um, I also, I don't think we've necessarily like landed personally on something that we're like, okay, that's who we are, you know, because it's so kind of multifaceted. And, and like you were saying, we started, we wrote all those songs that were just a little too like, no, you know, duh. They, yeah, well, yeah, it just sounded kind of boring to us. And if it's not exciting, then we're not going to do it, is what I can tell. And as long as we're excited, we'll keep doing it. You know, if, it, if we do, if it does mean digging into one, as long as it's exciting, it doesn't yeah. even matter. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny how that, that attitude comes through 
on records too, because with this album in particular, Vicious, um, we, uh, you know, because we were so kind of almost disgusted with ourselves, like, like, look, guys, like, we kind of lost sight of what gets us excited, or we're worried about what radio's going to think, we're worried about what our fans are going to think, we're worried about what our label's going to think, management, all of that. I just I just want to write the music that I get gets me excited. So that ended up being literally like just kind of thematically throughout the record, just this kind of middle finger to everything that we thought was important. Um, and really, I mean, kind of went back to where we were in our parents' basement, <laughs> you know, quite literally when we were writing it. We're, we're in a right basement there. right now. So. Yeah, exactly. I know. So it's, uh, yeah. Something about being underground. Like, <laughs> and, 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 you know, arguably it's been successful for both you two and ACDC going either way. So, uh, of course, Alice Cooper. You're touring with Alice Cooper, which is, well, incredible. Uh, and, uh, and talk to me a little bit about that and the influence. You've, of course, got Calico and Chuck. Oh, yes. from Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So you get to cut their passes tonight. And when, in the summer, they can cut your passes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I know. Right? It's a fair trade. It's a fair trade. Um, but, but, no, it's, it's been amazing. And, uh, and hopefully she can't hear me because she's right over there. But, um, but, no, she's amazing. Calico is one. I can count on, you know, less than one hand the absolute – um, just stunners, like amazing women, not just on stage as performers, but she's just such a great human and like just no qualms, just being absolutely unapologetically herself. And it's been uh, quite inspiring to be on tour with her as well. Um, Alice Cooper, um, he is uh, what I've been calling the the A and the ABCs of rock and roll for me. Um, he was the reason that I found out that I was not cool. Speaking of not being cool, when I was 11, um, my parents moved to a new place. Nobody knew me in the neighborhood. A couple girls, this is around 96, a couple girls invited me over to their sleepover. They said, hey, bring some of your favorite CDs. We're going to play everybody's CDs. So what do I bring to the sleepover at age 11? Love It to Death by Alice Cooper. So 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 at the time, it was like a lot of Backstreet Boys. There was TLC. It was popular. Um, So finally, you know, one of my new friends in the neighborhood was like, oh, let's listen to Liz's CD, put it in. I don't think we made it past the first chorus. Um, they're very uh, weirded out everybody in the neighborhood. Um, but I remember, uh, well, (laughs) it's amazing. I know. And I loved it. And I remember coming back and, and telling my dad, I'm like, well, I had fun, but nobody liked my music. And my dad being himself was, well, that's good. Well, dad, why is that good? You know? And he's like, well, because you love that CD just because you love it because it's part of you and because you get excited. They like a lot of that stuff because it's popular on the radio and their friends told me, told them it was cool. I'm like, all right, cool. But it's so amazing to trace that back. I told this, this story to Alice before and, and I'm like, it's amazing to now be here and trace back where that mission statement for me started. You know, it's because of guys like that, that we were able to write songs like Uncomfortable or write songs like Freak Like Me and all of these things and really own everything that you are regardless of whether everyone understands it. So, yeah, yeah, I'm super stoked. (laughs) So let me, uh, and I can say that we're running out of time, so let me ask you this. Uh, Of course, Nita Strauss tours with Alice, and she is absolutely wonderful. Every time I see something written about her, they say, great female guitarist, a great, good female and that bothers me in the sense that a guitarist is a guitarist is a guitarist. Uh, you now with your new Epiphone and, of course, being a female guitarist, I, and I hate that term, how, how do you look at that? Should, should we make that distinction or is a guitarist a guitarist? Um, well, I think that at the end of the day, uh, it all comes down to how you perform 
live in front of people. So, so regardless of what the labeling is, that should be the be all end all of any type of judgment. Um, at the same time, my view of it is, I think it is still important to acknowledge the female end of it only because of my personal, um, story coming into my own as a, as a female in, in the industry. If, if it wasn't for so I grew up on Alice Cooper and Dio and Cinderella and all of these kind of guy fronted bands very much a part of my heart but it wasn't until I heard Ann Wilson that I was like oh see that actually isn't that far off she's already a girl so I can totally do that so it's 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 a small it was a small adjustment in my mindset so I still think that that is important I don't think that it is uh it's that a female should be judged on the fact that she is a female. So in that aspect, I am very, uh, I'm, I'm with you with that. Um, you know, at the same time, like I said, at the end of the day, it all comes down to what you can do. Because <laughs> really I've, I've, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen, um, I've, I've seen shitty female artists and great ones. I've also seen yeah. shitty male artists and great ones. But, but first, it just depends. But yeah. I, I just see sometimes in, in magazines there'll be a top ten guitarist. Oh yeah, and you and get put be, into a category. Yes. Yeah. Six female list on, on the next Absolutely. I feel like we're on the cusp of that. Or, or what, so. what I've seen, and, and we talk about this all the time just in our, in our live show, um, it changed dramatically in the past two years. It used to be like 40, 60 female male in the audience. It's completely flipped on its head. And so I think that we're going to see probably in the next generation everyone just absolutely not having a tolerance for that shit anymore. <laughs> Good. Uh, I know that we have to wrap up, so thank you for your time. This thank is an absolute you. pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. And, of course, uh, tell the folks, uh, Vicious is out now. The band is on tour, I guess, all absolutely. year. Absolutely. Yeah. Either, either headlining <laughs> or, 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 or otherwise. Or otherwise. Yeah. So, you know, go see a show. That's where the money is. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and thank you. Thanks, guys. There we go. That was good. And the- You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Ah, yes, uh, Lizzie. Definitely, definitely awesome. Do check out their latest album. Do catch them on tour, either... They are headlining or opening for Alice Cooper. And what I've noticed uh, listening to these interviews on playback is you hear a lot of doors opening or creaking in the background. Now, uh, at the MTELUS with Lizzie, it was just, you know, roadies and, and stage production guys running in and out. But if you go back to the Ian Hill one, there were three doors that opened, or at least there were three times that I can remember. The first one was very excited. I'm, I'm sitting there face-to-face with Ian Hill of Judas Priest. And Rob Halford walks in. It's like, oh, oh hello, Rob. And, of course, uh, he sees that we're doing an interview, closes the door, walks out. And then the uh, second creaking in that interview, uh, which, by the way, I will uh, repeat, had that nice background Uriah Heap live set going through it. It was uh, Richard Richie Faulkner. Uh, popped his head in and again saw the interview and closed the door and walked out. And then the last one, uh, the, or the, la- the last creak that I remember hearing was Andy Sneep. So it, it really was a- an event. And, um, you know, usually, usually I do all these interviews as phoners, what they call phoners. So they, they call you in on, on the phone or on Skype and you chat with the band and it's, it's great. But now I, I've 
said, you know what, let, let me start doing some more in-person stuff. And I'm actually quite enjoying this. Uh, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Mitch Lafon or Facebook, or whatever, and, and tell me what you think of, of sort of the vibe. Uh, because there's a very, very different vibe, and I don't know if you want to call it a connect and a disconnect, but face-to-face with an artist and over the phone is very different. And I'll tell you, when I do stuff over the phone, when the artist is talking, I put myself on mute, so some of the reactions that I have, like, yeah, or uh-huh, or, uh, or yeah, I, I, I heard that too, or I've seen that, you don't hear because I mute it so that we can focus on what the artist is saying and so that it doesn't come off as interruptions. Whereas in the live vibe, the mic is open and live. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's one unidirectional mic, which is sometimes when you'll hear me respond, it sort of sounds faint in the background because the mic's pointed towards the artist or whatever. But um, uh, listening back to these three interviews, and, and you're going to hear Anthony Quarter of uh, Tor Tor in a second, I kind of enjoyed it. It, it. it it's it's convivial. It's 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 uh, I don't, it's 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 warmer in a sense. Like uh, like a uh, it feels it feels like like we're family or or like we're just buddies. I, I don't know. Anyway, let, let me know what you think of that. But uh, let us get on to the uh, final interview. Bastards of the Beal is the latest album by Tora Tora. It's their first album in. Well, you know what? I actually can't count that high, but it's been quite quite a while and uh, this was done over at the m3 festival well in fact at the sheridan near the x uh, the the x the x the x3 festival no uh, at the sheridan near the m3 festival in uh, columbia maryland we had done the friday night and uh, tora tora was going to play very very early on saturday and anthony's like hey Come over to the venue at this, you know, ungodly early hour because we have to do sound check and run the line and blah 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 blah. blah. And I said, right? How about I just roll out of bed? <laughs> how about I just wake up and you come over? And then and anyway, we ended up doing this like at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, interesting vibe to to do an interview. I've only done two interviews in in a hotel room in my entire life, and uh, funny enough, one is Anthony Quarter from this time. And the other one was dun, 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 Rob Halford when he was doing, I'm trying to think if he was doing Fight or Halford at the time. He wasn't in Priest, but he came to the Ritz-Carlton in, I, you know what, that's that's a lie. I've done three interviews uh, in, a, in a hotel room. The other one was Dave Mustaine. So anyway, uh, Rob Halford came out and uh, was at the Ritz-Carlton in Montreal and promoting either Fight or Halford. And we did a, an hour interview in person in the uh, in a hotel room, which was amazing. And uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, either just before that or just after that, I can't remember the timeline, but uh, again, at the Ritz, uh, at the Ritz-Carlton, uh, I sat down with Dave Mustaine. So I've done three hotel room interviews, which that's a real different vibe. You know, at a show, there's stuff, there's action, there's sound check, there's running around, there's putting out fires, there's all... Uh, anyway, um, again, when I do these talk-ups all alone, I tend to ramble on. So let us ramble on over to Anthony Quarter of Tora Tora. And so he deserves the same introduction as everyone else. Here is the one, the only, Anthony Quarter. 
We are here at M3 with Anthony Corder of the band Torator. Of course, uh, their great album, Surprise Attack, came back years and years ago, and I did buy it. I awesome. plunked down the cash for it, yes. which is important, folks. Keep buying stuff. New album is Bastards of the Beal. So let's start with that. What sort of compels you at this point to put out new music? Why not just come over to M3, play Walking Shoes, play the other ones, and say, thank you, folks, here's your, you know, 45 minutes? Why get into a studio and say, okay, blood, sweat, and tears, new music? I think, personally, from my side, that we, we wanted to get back together. We were just trying to find a time. We had all kind of taken a break to raise our families, honestly, just to be open with you. And in the back of our mind, we wanted to get together and do something. We had talked about it. Um, Patrick, our bass player, kind of went through a health issue. That's and, my next uh, question. <laughs> that changed our perspective a little bit, all of ours. Uh, we've, bought, we've been friends since high school. We've grown up together and been through all kind of stuff together. And um, But Frontiers approached us at the right time. I think the timing was just like the planets lined up. We were kind of in a different mindset. We all were kind of excited about being together and had right. some new energy. And uh, they gave us a great opportunity and a platform to reach the right audience. So it was just kind of a no-brainer to us. We it really were, was, yeah. They, our children were growing up. They're kind of of the age so now. mine. Yes. That, <laughs> that they are independent. They have their own agendas. And we were like, you know what? We could sneak away and do some stuff together and, and have fun like the, you know, like the old days. You know? so, so talk to me about that. When you come in and do new music, do you sit down and think, okay, we need to recapture 1980-whatever? Or do you think, hey, you know what? We're this much older. We've got different life perspective, different life experience. Let's write a mature rock record. I mean, do you capture sort of the Torah Torah sound or do you create a new Torah Torah sound? Well, I think we were excited like everybody else. We were wondering what it was going to sound like mm-hmm. um, in the back of our mind. Um, I guess like creatively, we wanted to do the things that, that had captured the audience in the first place. Right. But creatively also, we wanted to do something that was exciting to us. But I think what really surprised us is it was super authentic and organic how it happened. We we didn't go back and go through old catalogs or old things that we didn't release or didn't cut. We just walked in with a fresh slate. Good. We threw a piece of poster board up on the wall in the rehearsal room, just like we did when we were little kids, and drew the lines of the riffs and stuff, and then we just started checking the stuff off. And we were excited. We, we had uh, kind of woodshedded some ideas that we thought might uh, be something that we would get together and do. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we've all stayed close. To, I know a lot of people are like, wow, you guys kind of disappeared and we hadn't talked to you, but we were... We've been like family, you know. We've we've stayed in touch, uh, although we were doing other things creatively and other things outside of music. We always had a bond of just being together. So, there's something about um, the four of us when we get together. I know you hear this from all the bands that you talk to, and it's true. It's just it's Patrick playing his bass and John on the drums and Keith's guitar sound. When we walk in, that's the sound. And I think what really got me was we had done a benefit for Patrick for his uh, medical expenses, and we had a friend, Jeff Powell that um, had worked with us back in the ardent days. He worked on the, the Wild America record with us. He was an assistant engineer. But um, some of the folks that we knew came and talked on Patrick's behalf in between the, the sets, you know, the bands that were playing. And he wrote me out of the blue one day on Facebook. He sent me a message. He was in London or something. He said, hey, man, I've just been thinking about your show the, that I saw a couple months back. He goes, there's something about y'all sound. He goes, do you want to come and cut a couple of singles with me? He uh, he cut straight to vinyl out of Sam Phillips' right. studio. And... Uh, and I wrote him back, and I said, you're not going to believe this. We don't want it to cut two. We want to cut a whole record. We're, we've been talking to a record label, and we think we're going to come in and cut some stuff. So that was kind of how that all came together. And then the the music and the uh, all the 
arrangements and all that stuff that we did was all just, I don't know. There was, there was an excitement again, I guess. It's, I'm yeah. trying to think of how to put it into it's words. It's a great album. We were so excited. And then we walked in, and of course, when I hear them and I close my eyes, it's like I, I think about stale beer and cigarettes. You know, the sound comes out, and I think I'm 18, you know. And, uh, and then I start singing and realize we're a few waves down the road. But um, we just enjoyed being together. We wanted to do something that was just music that we enjoyed doing. We kind of all sat down, and we had a, a stack of tunes, and we said, all right, we're going to kind of whittle through all this stuff and try to pick the best. Pick, stuff. pick the best. Now, now, is this one and done? We've been here, done that. We, we've recaptured whatever 1987, or is like, okay, this is the start of Chapter 2, and in two years after we see another sort of album tour cycle, where do we see the band going in terms of new, new music? One and done or more to come? More to come, for sure. Okay. We're already writing for an, a new project. Um, and I think we're excited. We we did some things creatively, tried some different tune-ins and things like that, that, um, you know, in our live sets and stuff, we get limited because of, uh, you know, changing guitars and all that kind of stuff and tempos and all that kind of stuff. But we have a lot of new stuff that we're excited about right now that, that we're working on. So. That's good. So l- let's go back. I guess it was August 2016. Mm-hmm. Patrick Francis uh, has cancer or was diagnosed with cancer and you do the benefit concert. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that emotion because here you are, you're helping out a buddy who has a serious medical issue. But at the same time, here you are, four buddies getting back together, doing what you love. Yeah. So you've got this sort of love and hate kind of moment going on bittersweet is what they call it i guess yeah. how was that for you knowing that you're helping out a buddy but uh, mm, you know it was super emotional it yeah. was i mean we're we've bonded i mean we were teenagers i left high school to be a singer in a heavy metal band you know I, with these guys and we've gone through the highest highs and been down in the deep dark valley together um and our health, I guess, the age that we're at has a lot to do with it. When you start mm-hmm. talking about your health issues and our lifestyle and everything. My neck is hurting just, <laughs> just, just sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, we uh, it, the great thing about it was he actually went in for something else, and they caught it super early. So the, his diagnosis and everything was that he was going to make a recovery and all that. So we were super hopeful at the time, although, you know, that's a scary disease. But anyway, he got a clean bill of health. But the, the day, you know, that we've... We're talking about it and going there. We had so much, so many people in our community, bands and stuff that contributed, that came in, that we had grown up with. The Roxy Blue guys were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zach Myers from Shinedown. Um, yeah, good Jeff job. Cardron, who's one of the guitar players in Roxy Blue now. He and his wife were there. I mean, it was just all these people showed mm-hmm. up to help. Right. And uh, it was on a Sunday afternoon, and I was expecting it to be like a, just a close bonding, you know, his close buddies. And then it turned into this huge good. event. It was amazing. Good. People from people all over the band. Well, and the industry people too. Bands sent uh, memorabilia stuff to, for us to auction off. It was amazing. I mean, we couldn't believe the outpouring of that, and especially to be around our our community where we did it because we grew up with these people. I mean, when I look in the audience and look at the people there, I've partied with like everybody okay. there. I've gone mm-hmm. to high school with them, or we've spent late nights together. So we're we're really rooted in our in our hometown, you know. Uh, they were the reason that we ever had an opportunity in the first place. They were our first, you know, fan base, and they gave us a shot to do something. So we we owe them a debt of gratitude, and it meant the world to us for them to show up that day for him. But um, the great news is that Patrick is 
Good. healthy. He's got a clean bill of health. The very first thing that he talked to us about was he said, I want to get on the road and see everybody. And, uh, you know, that just touched us. We all were thinking the same thing. We we're like, man, let's go. We feel good. We're okay. He's fine. And uh, we went out and did the Monsters of Rock. And Cruise. it was our first yeah. one. Oh, my gosh. And it That's was just a wild like, time. We found our tribe. You know, we just said, oh, my gosh, this is so fun. And to see the smile on his face was worth the whole trip. We just looked around and said, this is amazing, you know. so Captures the spirit of what it's all about. Yeah. So just real quick on capturing the spirit, and we'll end with this. We are at M3. Yes. And it is an incredible event. How important to the band like Torator or a band like Torator is a festival like this? And how important is just the festival in general for the scene? Because they really deliver. Yes. This one is one of our bucket lists. We've been wanting to come here for a long time. Mm. This is our virgin voyage. Uh, <laughs> the energy is amazing. We've known about it. And this area, especially up in the Northeast, is kind of special to our heart because <clears throat> we launched our record yeah. out of here in 1989. We, we had a, a, a management company. It was out of Brooklyn, New York. And so they based us out of <laughs> Staten Island. And ran us around through Pennsylvania and down this way through Baltimore and D.C. And we spent a lot of time in this area. So we hold this place really close to our heart. It means a lot to us. Plus, it's, you know, Kicks is hometown. We love them. We played some dates with them when we very first started. And they were so down to earth and, and humble and just great guys. I mean, they're still, man, one of my favorites. I mean, Steve is freaking incredible on stage. But the atmosphere here is it's about community Yep. It's about bringing people together. It's about family. We think of everybody like that. When we see them, we're bumping into people we had not seen in years. And that's sort of the story, the Tora Tora story, community, because with Patrick and, and the reunion, yes. and then you guys being sort of high school buddies, yes. it's, it's, yeah. it's, a guy, it's perfect. We just think of this as, you know, music is powerful. Yep. It brings people together, and it's afforded us some amazing opportunities. And to get to do it here in this setting with all these bands that we love and get to see them, and last night was a amazing we did a little pre-party jam saw that. got some people to i mean it's just man i don't know there's it's hard to put it into words how to describe it but it's just it is about community and and culture and this is a dedicated group of people we love this we bind over this music and uh, it's it just means the world to us to get to participate it does. In it. i mean i i would i would say this m3 is not a festival it really is a family reunion it, it's 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 your uncles and aunts, and it's just everybody coming in and having a, a good time. Yeah, it's amazing. We're looking so forward to it today. We're ready and, to rock this thing. And, and, and tomorrow and next year. Yeah. <laughs> and next year. Uh, Anthony, absolute pleasure. And we will, of course, uh, folks, do a longer sit-down interview where we'll get into the, the nuts and bolts of the entire career. But uh, there you go. From M3, it is uh, Anthony and uh, Mitch. Awesome. Thank you. Have a great one, man. Thank you. Perfect. And look at that. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn.